Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Did you find anything good? I found a couple of things. I got the Stevie Nicks album. Ooh, and this David Bowie one. (laughs) Nice. Those are great finds. What about you? Tons of treasure. I found the Sly and the Family Stone, Baby Huey, and a Martha and the Vandals album. I'm digging the soul music. What can I say? You love your funk and soul, don't you? I wish this was all still on the radio, nonstop. Not just on KRCL on Friday afternoons. It just speaks to me. I'm just glad that this place still sells this music. I'm glad records are making a return. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today, we're going to be discussing the incredible show, Memphis. So, hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Come with us as we go down, down, underground, as we discover the magic and music that is Memphis the Musical. This incredibly powerful and moving show bursts onto the scene and took audiences by surprise with its touching story and stirring ballads. But as always, let's go back to the origins of this production. The story is loosely based on the life of Dewey Phillips, a pioneering disc jockey from Memphis, Tennessee. He was the first to play Elvis Presley's debut record in 1954. He was bringing black music to a segregated Memphis before Alan Freed did the same in Cleveland. Dewey was never involved in any payola scandals, unlike Freed, who took money to play certain songs on the radio. Dewey's free-form style was moving out of style, and he was fired in 1958. He played small-time radio stations for the rest of his career, never staying too long. George W. George developed the concept for Memphis, and it was staged at the La Jolla Playhouse in 2008. It then ran at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle for a month before it made its way to Broadway. The show began previews on September 23, 2009. At this point, we should probably introduce the design team for this incredible production. Set by David Gallo, costumes by Paul Taswell, lights by Hal Binkley, sound design by Ken Travis, hair by Charles G. LaPointe, makeup by Angelina Avalon. Music by David Bryan, lyrics by Joe DiPietro and David Bryan, book by Joe DiPietro, The story concept was by George W. George. It was directed by Christopher Ashley, and the choreography was by Sergio Trujillo. The musical arrived on Broadway at the Schubert Theater on October 19, 2009. 
it would run for 1,166 performances, finally closing on August 5, 2012. That season, it was nominated for eight Tony Awards, and it would leave that evening with four. Best Book, Best Orchestrations, Best Original Score, and Best Musical. So, let's dive into the story itself. There's a party at Del Rey's, an underground black rock and roll bar in the 1950s Memphis. Huey Calhoun, a white man, arrives on the scene. The regulars begin to leave, but Huey convinces them to stay, claiming he is there only for the music. Later, Huey is about to be fired from his job as a stock boy at a local department store, but he makes a deal with the owner. If he can sell five records by playing them over the speakers, he can have a sales job. Huey plays a rock and roll hit. He sells 29 records in five minutes, but the store owner fires him anyway, incensed at the type of music being played. Huey returns to Delray's club and begins flirting with Felicia, Delray's talented sister, and promises to get her on the radio. Huey then proceeds to apply for DJ jobs at various local white radio stations. One of the owners, Mr. Simmons, invites him in, saying he'll show him what a real DJ looks like. Huey hijacks the mic and plays another African-American rock song. Mr. Simmons is about to have Huey thrown out, but then dozens of teenagers start calling in, demanding more of Huey and his music. Mr. Simmons agrees to give him a two-week trial, and if he's successful, he'll get hired full-time. After a few days, Huey is told to read an advertisement for beer, but he is illiterate. Huey asks Bobby, a friend of Del Rey's with a janitor position, to tell him what it says. He forgets the words uh, almost immediately and begins to improvise, ending with the phrase, Hackadoo! Mr. Simmons again almost fires Huey until the manager of the store advertised calls in saying that he wants Huey to do all of his advertisements, seeing as his stock sold out in minutes. Huey's station gains immediate popularity, as does his new catchphrase, even though no one understands what it means, including Huey. While on the radio, Huey encourages white people to go down to black churches, and they begin to. Meanwhile, Del Rey has saved up enough money to put Felicia's voice on record, and he travels to Huey's house to tell him this. He is overjoyed and promises to play it that day. Huey's Prejudiced mother, however, breaks the record, which leaves Felicia heartbroken, but Huey tells her to come down to the radio station anyway. The next day, Huey brings in a band and backup singers to play for Felicia live. Despite her reservations, Felicia sings and becomes an instant sensation. Felicia and Huey's relationship begins to grow, and Del Rey is becoming more and more infuriated with Huey. He warns him of the danger of what he is doing threatening to harm Huey if anything happens to Felicia. Huey's radio popularity grows more and more as white teens and black teens begin to accept each other. Huey and Felicia have been carrying on a secret relationship since the day she sang live on the radio. Two years later, Huey proposes to Felicia on the way to a party at Del Rey's. 
She says no because of the laws and prejudice, but admits that without those obstacles, she would accept. As the two share a kiss, a gang of white men pass by, spotting this. They hold Huey down as they beat Felicia with a bat. Huey manages to carry her into the club, crying out for help. Del Rey tries to go after Huey, for he promised to harm Huey should Felicia get hurt because of him. But Gator, a friend who has not spoken since he saw his father lynched as a child, calms him and sends out a prayer for change as Del Rey takes Felicia outside and gets her into the ambulance they called. Act 2 starts by showing us that time has passed and Huey is about to open his new TV show, a rock and roll variety show featuring all black dancers. Felicia is supposed to be the first guest, but she backs out at the last minute fearing that people will think she and Huey to be in a relationship. Huey informs Bobby that he will fill in, and after getting over some jitters, Bobby brings the house down. Felicia's popularity is also beginning to grow around Memphis, as does her relationship with Huey. Felicia tells Huey that if they went to New York, they wouldn't have to sneak around all the time. But Huey insists that they are happy the way they are and don't need to leave. She has been discovered by a talent agency in New York, as has Huey's TV show. The agency wants them to come up to New York, although Huey has to compete with Dick Clark for the national show. They ponder the decision and even support and are even supported by Huey's mother, who has changed her racist ways after seeing a black church choir. Huey is told he has won the TV position if he agrees not to use black dancers. Huey refuses and proceeds to strip out of his suit on the air. Felicia tells Huey that she plans to go anyway, as it is her dream. In a desperate attempt to keep her, he kisses her on the air and says he loves her. The feed is cut, and Huey is fired on the grounds that no one would watch his show if they knew about him and Felicia, and that he wasn't the only white person to play black music anymore. Felicia is taken away by Del Rey in an attempt to save her career. Now unemployed, Huey leaves the station and ponders his relationship with Memphis, realizing he couldn't leave for any reason. Four years later, Huey is a DJ on an obvious low-budget and low-rated station. He jokes that they have exactly one listener. Felicia walks in, about to start a national tour. She tells Huey that she is engaged to a man named Bill, but that she wants him to join her on the stage one last time. He refuses, afraid that no one will remember him. She begins her performance, and halfway through the song, Huey walks on the stage and finishes the song with her to thunderous applause. He proclaims the name is Huey Calhoun. Good night and hockadoo! The, the end. end. Let's talk about the things we liked and the things we didn't. I love the show. I love the show. I love the story. I it's love it. Heart wrenching and yet funny. It uh, takes you on a full journey. Chris, oh no, Chad Kimball. Chad Kimball, something about who played Chad Huey, Kimball. is so good. First of all, he's from Washington. And he had that accent down so good. He played that role. So good. And Impeccably he, perfect. Like, one hundred. the thing I remember the most about him was 
embodying Huey, top that to bottom. slouch and everything. Yes, and everything, including the way he held his jaw and yep. his eyes. Yep. And they that were consistent. Squint yes. Yep. And they were consistent the entire time he was performing. He he had us eating out of the palm of his hand. He had all the right jokes and all the right quirks, but then also just your heart was breaking because, you know, it, I. He had the way out. He could have everything he wanted, but he couldn't give it up at the same time. He couldn't like, leave oh. Memphis. I loved, loved the performances of the actors in the show. Top notch. James Monroe. Iglehart. I mean, Montego Glover. Montego Glover. Um, Baskins. <coughs> I can't think of his last name or first name, but he played Gator. Um, and then he went on to play um, in Ain't Too Proud, Life and Times of the Temptations. I mean, seriously, this just a powerhouse of performers. Um absolutely amazing you know mm-hmm. um the characters were fully realized with backstory and it allowed us to really get a sense of the world at that time mm-hmm. to really get a sense of Everything. of the struggle yeah and oh I and the just... passage of time was seamless i everything about the show top to bottom was fantastic yeah i everything just it was fully developed and yes. what I love is when a show is fully developed, it just, everything fires on all pistons. Yes. You know? Um, the set was a brilliant set. The underground felt dirty and dingy. And I loved the way that it was set up, you know? Because, um, how do I put this in the right way? You wouldn't find that at that time in a white person's place. Mm-hmm. Everything would be clean and pristine because we're white. And these colored folk had their own little part of the world but it wasn't the best part of the world but at the same they time it, it was the theirs yeah. yeah and and you still you wanted to be a part of them the fact that like the stage was this was Delray's bar and you could see at the top of the stage people like walking particularly white people just walking by and it's like but I'd rather be here I don't mm-hmm. want to be up there on the street I want to be down here you know um, even the studio to some extent kind of felt a little wayward, but then when we were like in the um, the department store or whatever, that felt very clean and organized and pristine, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and I I loved the details of Huey's house with him and his mama. The first house, not the one that he gave her. Exactly. Yes. And we're just run down and mm-hmm. yep, the kitchen that was just broken. Everywhere. And there were just little details that just kind of made it like you could tell where you were and what the economic status or the status or the class was. Um, you know, and it just, it was the nice attention to detail that just really made things pop. I love the way that the pillars of the set were used for the projections of the pictures, the radio station logos, as well as set pieces for things like the department store or for the TV studio with the, um, speakers outside of it and that. And I love the projection, the backdrops, uh, sorry, let me focus on one thing inside the projections where they use to post the real articles about him mm-hmm. everywhere or when they projected the, the black and white. So instead of like using a, a full on screen or a TV, they use the pillars to project these black and white video images of what was happening live on stage. So those cameras that they were using were real and they were projected onto these pillars. And then you have these gorgeous backdrops, particularly the one that stands out in my mind is that bridge. And I'm not going to even try to guess what that river was. It's in Memphis, but it's this gorgeous, like, it's an iconic bridge. Yes. And it goes over the river that's in Memphis. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, anybody who's in Tennessee that's listening, 
send us a shout out of what river it is. But it's it's a gorgeous picture and just the way for anyone out there who doesn't know, nine times out of ten, these backdrops are hand painted. They're not like a screen, like there's not a giant printer somewhere that's printing like, these things. This is a hand painted backdrop and it is absolutely gorgeous and it takes your breath away. And they use it for the backdrop of Act Two. Like when the curtain comes down at the end of Act One, and then when he sings Memphis Lives in Me, it's also in the back. Um, so it's absolutely beautiful. And then leading into that, lights. The lighting was beautiful. Um, I love the use of blues and purples. You know, you don't see that a lot in shows. Um, especially when we were in Delray's. Well, I should say, especially when uh, I hate to. Put it this way, especially when we were with more of the, the color folk of the cast. I hate saying that term, but you know, um, there was a lot of blues and purples used. But it, I don't know, it, it made it more fun, more exciting, more... Rhythm and blues? Well, yeah, just <laughs> that that was the people that you wanted to be with, where, where everybody else, the white cast, are just frigid, like white, harsh lighting. You're like, I really don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the use of the radio dials. One of my yeah. favorite things was... When the show started, right, it starts with the box, and there's a guy um, sitting there, and you're listening to radio, blah, 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 and the light goes out, and you see the radio dial turn, and then the radio, the DJ box is in blues and purples, and there's a guy, wow, welcome to radio, you know? Yes. I thought that was just, that was so cool, and then... It seems so simple, but that spotlight work on Huey during the song Memphis Lives in Me just really emphasizes that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that song is so... Makes you want to oh, be from Memphis? That, well, it just it explains why he couldn't leave. Yes. It explains why he couldn't give everything up and just go. So adding that just... It makes him seem so alone. But also just rooted. And it's so beautiful. I mean, that that is the true beauty of a good designer. That they can, <clears throat> something so simple can create such a magical, oh, yes. you know. And speaking of magical, we have to talk about these costumes. So gorgeous. They were time, like they were set in their time period, but also iconic. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense. They weren't. I don't know. It, it's hard to describe. They didn't feel vintage. They felt fresh and like... Well, because I think that's all the design things working together. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel like we were watching, you know, a retro piece of theater. It felt current. Yes, it felt current. And that was my favorite thing about all the costumes. Oh, and they were fitted so well. Mm-hmm. Oh, those dresses, my God. I mean, everything so... that Montego Glover wore. Was so... What I, oh, okay, so what I loved, one of the things is a lot of the ensemble girls were in these like ruffled dresses more like these poofier dresses mm-hmm. but then the character of felicia montego glover's character was in much more tight fitting tight fitting yes and then i love that um del rey was in these great three-piece suits like the zoot suits yes 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 and then you had uh bobby who was in these more simple just like sport coat with the suspenders and you know um i just i love that you know and then of course we, you know you had Huey, who was just like... Oh my gosh, his crazy outfits. So that's the thing. So Huey Huey looked like a slob, but then when he had to start dressing up, it literally looked like a golfer threw up. 
You know, <laughs> he ate all of a golfer ate all of his attire and then like threw it up, and that's what Huey wore. You know, it, he had no care for what he wore, and so the fact that a costume zebra stripes and crazy prints, and a costume designer had to throw all of their, I guess, better knowledge out the window and be like, "How can I put together something that is so shocking to the eye?" Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. I, that was great, and the wigs were so perfect and stylized as well. Yes. You know, um, the ladies especially, I, I thought, one thing I've started noticing is how crazy does the hair get, especially with the dancing, frizzled and everything like that. And these wigs really just, they kept their shape. They were I, I want to say like there wasn't a hair out of place or anything like that. Mm-hmm, but it still moved and flowed like real hair. Exactly. I was going to say, but it still looked natural and it did its job and they looked really fabulous, you know. Um... And, and I have mentioned it, so I want to bring it in now, the choreography. Choreography was beautiful. I loved the dancing. It was high energy. It was toe tapping. I just wanted to get up and dance with them. Um, I loved the jump rope scene that mm-hmm. they were all dancing. And then they integrate and they dance together, you know, mm-hmm. and you're just like, Oh my god, I there, mean, the there one could that, be a change coming, you know? The one that got me the most, like the song that gets stuck in my head and the costumes that I can see moving while I'm hearing the song, is Everybody Wants to Be Black on a Saturday Night. With the three guys in the record? Yes, and just the movements that they have, but I can see the costumes clear in my mind as well with them, and that movement, Mm -hmm. just that movement is so classic. Or like when they're doing the gator on the TV show. and The dance of the day is the gator, you know? Yeah. Uh, And then those gold outfits at the end of the show for Still Your Rock and Roll. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's... the show is choreographed wonderfully, and, and one of the other things I want to point out is the movements of James Monroe Iglehart. Yes. Long before, boys and girls, he was Marquis de Lafayette, and before that when he won his Tony as the genie in Aladdin. Yes, kids, he was in Memphis, tapping and spinning and splitting around as Bobby. Oh my gosh, and yes. He was... I'm so glad he has the successful career that he has. He deserves it and then some. He was so good in this role. And the man... Can move? Can move. It's incredible. Um, yeah. I want to talk more about him later, but I want to move on to the music. It's good music. You add in that... Uh, to the choreography, when you add in that infectious music that exists, that mix of rhythm and blues and gospel and soul and just a touch of funk, I mean, I am sold on it. This music is pure genius. It just... Once it's in your ears and it's in your veins, you can't get it out. Oh, yeah. I mean, I find myself, even to this day, still humming and singing songs from the show. Yeah, as we were putting together the script for the show, like, I didn't need to put the album on to be like, how does everything... No, everything just flooded back. Yeah. Lift me up, lift me up, take me higher. I was like, I know all the songs. Yes. It's so, so good. It... The original works that have come out of this, I mean, it's, I can't recommend this enough. I, I love this show. The music is just I mean, there's, there's a reason why when they released the video, like, we went and saw it in theaters as yeah. soon as possible. Yeah. And we, like, drug everyone with us. Yeah. <laughs> it, it. The, the music complements the choreography and the choreography enhances the music. And everything is just, it. It all is just a beautiful fusion uh, yeah, and collaboration. Say, it's a great marriage of everything. And when you, very few shows 
have a complete marriage of all those elements to just come together. And this and is for, one of those. Yeah, and it just, it impacts you. We would be remiss if we didn't mention the notable actors who graced the stage for Memphis, including Chad Kimball, Adam Pascal, Montego Glover, Derek Baskin. Derek, that's his name. <laughs> Christopher Jackson and James Monroe Iglehart. So let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Okay, this show has definitely had a theater theatrical impact. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful show about the roots and history of R&B, or as it's more commonly known from its time, race music. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to know. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of people have a general understanding that like, you know, race music, R&B, like where it kind of came from. But I don't think they understand like kind of, how the integration started well, like happening. where 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 it came from how did it get on the radio waves and things like that you know I mean, mm-hmm. we've got shows like dream girls we've got shows like motown now we've got shows like ain't too proud but i'm the guy that's like do you understand like show me a for what white person kind of helped push this forward because trust me dick clark one being like, hey, have you heard this music? Well, and what I love about this show and what I love about Huey Calhoun um, and to that being said, Dewey, um, is the fact that you have a person who recognized that the best thing they could do with their white privilege, even though he was not privileged as in being rich, he was privileged because he was white and he recognized it mm-hmm. and knew that there was something good and that Everyone had to listen to it, and he was in a position to be able to get people to listen to it. Right. It was a it was an example of using your white privilege to help raise up voices. Yes, and <clears throat> it's like I said, it, it, in a world, especially in, in in a country where, to me, we've already stolen one kind of music that has started by a culture, which would be jazz, mm-hmm. and not giving them credit. We need to give credit for rhythm and blues. Mm-hmm. Just like we need to give credit for rap and hip hop. Yep. Like, it's not stealing music, in my opinion. Careful with throwing that around, but it's, you need to give credit where credit is due. Understand where it came from. Yes. Music can speak to all people of all colors, credence, and all that, but you can't own it. You have to recognize where it came from. And I think that's really important to understand. Elvis was not the first artist to discover rock and roll. No, no, no. There were artists far. Before yeah. Elvis, that were the singing ins- the inspired songs what Elvis like was it, doing. if not the exact songs that Elvis were singing, you didn't hear about them because their skin was darker. And it's high time that we understand that that was going on and that was happening. And I think this show really helped open a lot of people's minds. And what also I loved is that they recognized that there was someone in the South, below the Mason-Dixon line, that was like, there's this great music. Well, and that there were people who... Like, not every person in the South was a Klansman. You know, not everyone was a bigoted asshole. You know, I mean, I think that that's important to recognize that there were people who were helping to, you know, help... There were people that were thinking ahead of their time. Well, they were trying to help raise up black voices, which we still need to do, but they understood that at the time, they couldn't do it by themselves because of the area... They lived in. Well, they you saw had beyond to. the color of the skin. Yes, it wasn't that, about like, the race. It was how good the music was. Exactly. They're like, I don't understand. Don't you like the music? Yeah, but you don't like their skin. No, 
that you like the music. So what's Why the does problem? their skin matter? I'm not asking you to do anything with them. I'm asking you to enjoy their music. Right. So I thought also the other theatrical impact was it brought together a top-notch talent both on and off the stage. I mean, like yes. I already mentioned before, James Monroe Eigel, Derek Baskins, Montego Glover, Chad Kimball, all who have gone on to do amazing other shows. Then backstage, you've got people like Christopher Ashley, um, uh, DiPietro, uh, David Bryan. You know, you've got these amazing people. Uh, Taswell and LaPointe and um, Cats, Avalon. Yeah, uh, this was a powerhouse show. You know, it's like the best of the best came together. And the other thing is, I, if I remember right, this is one of the first shows to be released on DVD or streamed while it still was on Broadway. Yes, yeah, they did this. Which was a big deal. Where they filmed it and then they premiered it at movie theaters. And then they started streaming it and released it on DVD. So you could see it at home or on Broadway. At the same, and it was the same show. You know, mm-hmm. um, I definitely think that that was a huge impact. I believe they did it. Um, they and Shrek kind of helped push that this is what we want. But the difference between the two is Shrek did it after it had closed on Broadway. Memphis did it while, while it, it was, was still on. there. Yeah. Yeah. As for societal impact, again, it acknowledged the roots of R&B. And that's so important to do. You know, it's important to give credit, like I say, where credit is due. It recognized race relations and the issues that existed then and even now. Mm-hmm. You know, your heart broke at the end of Act One. It God. did. And the fact that the all, I hope all the audience recognize and empathize with that and went, that's wrong today is good. But the fact that we, we still today as an audience recognize and go, man, I, I've seen something like that before is bad. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And then it showed the power of music in affecting social change. And I yes. think it doesn't just exist at that time period, even all the way through today. You know, it'll happen again in the 60s movement. We'll have it through the 70s and the 80s and, of course, through the 90s with the hip-hop and everything. But even today, right. music, music can affect social change. 100%, yes. You know, um, and, I, and I, how many people have used songs from something to to lead a protest make a video start a movement or what have you it becomes their their call you know oh like lady gaga and born this way or there's that song was it rise up and we'll rise up how many people oh, had, yeah. a, had a poster recently that said rise up or things like that i mean music inspires social change art will hold the mirror up to society i've always said I borrow this quote, if you want to know about a people and its history, look to its art, look to its theater. We are the record keepers. We're going to tell the world what actually was happening at that time. We'll keep the accurate record because no one's going to necessarily like chastise us. We're just being like, well, we're just telling stories here. and <laughs> Take what you want from it. But art will inspire people and lead them to do something. And I truly think that this show showed that music will lead to social change. Mm-hmm. So is the show relevant? Now, this is interesting. We've talked a lot about all the good and everything that comes from it, but is this show relevant? This is really hard to say, in my opinion, because I think that there are better vehicles since the show premiered and currently on Broadway to communicate a lot of the important messages that exist within the show. Yes. You know, like I've mentioned already before, Ain't Too Proud. Even more recently, Tina, the Tina Turner musical. Um, but that being said, I personally wouldn't mind seeing the show back on Broadway. 
Like it's <laughs> as a revival. Oh, oh God. Um, I do think it is perfect a perfect fit for the touring circuit. It's a great show for a regional theater. Yes, know? especially in a world where we want to see more people of color on stages at regional houses. Yes, we need to because we're seeing a lot of diversity out here in the east. But we need more diversity back, like where we're from, from Utah. Well, uh, and there's a lot of everywhere. diversity here in New York City. I can't speak for what other cities. That's are going true. On, but like New York City proper, we're seeing diversity. But where are we seeing that diversity elsewhere? And that's what needs to change. And this show is a great vehicle to help theaters tell a story while helping to diversify their Absolutely. their audiences Absolutely. and their on stage. Absolutely. That say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. So we have both seen the show a total of three times between mm-hmm. 2010 and 2012. So you've already heard us gushing about the show and seeing it. I mean, it was at the Schubert Theater. I remember just sitting there. I remember everything about being in the theater. I remember going down the balcony stairs to get to the stage door. I remember all of that. Mm-hmm. Done that. I remember meeting and seeing Chad Kimball, Montego Glover, James Monroe Iglehart, Derek Baskin. I remember I, all of them coming I, out and being so sweet. Yeah. When they all came out and met them in person, that was great. Back in the day when you could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and actually, that's how I know that Chad Kimball is from Washington because when he came out, I remember paying the compliment of like, your character was great and that accent was so good. And he goes, thanks, I'm from Washington. And I was just like... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> right. Well, and that's one thing where I realized, like, his characterization was, li- like, that wasn't him. It was a full-body characterization. Yes. Because when he came up, he stood up straight, and his eyes were open, <laughs> you know? And it was it's like... a completely different person. You know, you're like, wow, you act. You're an actor. <laughs> right. And it's just so nice to be able to see someone who could fully embody a character like that and sustain it. Yes. Um, and, uh, and James Monroe Iglehart is still just as goofy in real life as he is on stage. Yes. Like, that, that's not a switch. He is just a genuinely kind and Yes, and when cool. we get to Aladdin, I have an awesome story about him. But <laughs> we'll get there. Yes. Um, seeing that, uh, I was just moved, like I've already mentioned it, by the music, especially in Memphis Lives and Me. Like, hearing it the first time, hearing it the third time, seeing it on DVD the 18th time. Mm-hmm. It still, it just gets me. And when Chad Kimball just goes up at the end on those notes, I'm just like, yes, I'm in church. Praise the Lord. It makes you want to be from Memphis. Oh, and then <laughs> seeing the dancing firsthand. Oh my God, yeah. I remember when we saw the dancing on the Tonys and I was blown away. Yeah. Even though I didn't win choreography that year. In fact, what's interesting, that year, there's on and off years for like the Tony Awards. Like there's some years when you're like, there was just top to bottom stack shows. And you kind of like, there's a dead heat or there's a clear front runner. This was one of those years where it was like, it's hard to say. You know, there was a, it was like a lukewarm year. And I remember when Memphis won, 
it was a huge, like they were all backstage and they're all freaking out. It was like a huge shock. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I think the other nominees, I think were Everyday Rapture and um, Fela was another one. So, you know, I love that they were so excited and they embodied it. But I just loved, I remember seeing the dancing underground. I remember, like I said, um, what's the one? Uh, not every, maybe it was everybody. No, it's the one where he's singing and then the girl gets slapped. Oh, I can't remember what it but is. Yeah, there, there's that song. And then, of course, they do the the uh, jump rope dance. I love the jump rope dance. Yes, that is one of my favorites. You know, um, And then reacting. I love the reactions with the crowd and reacting with them at the blatant acts of hate in the show. Mm-hmm. Because that makes you, that makes you, that gives you hope in, in, in yeah, for society. When the crowd, you know, you go to theater for that community experience. So when your community is together reacting to something that you know is wrong, not just sitting there being like, oh, well, that was wrong, but we're all vocalizing it, you know, to the daughter, like I said, being slapped, the store clerk calling it the N-word music, you know, to, to Felicia getting attacked, to the kiss on the TV. Like you heard uh, like audible gasps. Or like uh, to things. and things like that. You know, you just... You know there's hope for us because people were like, no, that's not okay. Even if we're doing it on the stage, that kind of stuff is not okay. And I was like, yes. And this was back in 2010, so I was like, we're going to be okay, everybody. (laughs) We're going to go through a rough patch, but we're going to be okay. And with things continuing in a sense of normalcy, knock word, we hope to see the show again and soon. You'll be able to catch Memphis on DVD near you or streaming. Not sure where. (laughs) Or at a theater, hopefully. Hopefully. Also, we want to remind you about uh, our paired podcast, The Broadway Bulletin. You can hear all about the shows we've been been seeing here in New York uh, as the theater has returned every Tuesday and Saturday. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. like what you hear please leave a five-star review like and subscribe you can also find us on facebook instagram and twitter at stage whisper pod and feel free to tell your friends about us as well as well as telling us your comments and personal stories at stage at gmail.com our theme song is fox by music for wildlife other music on this episode provided by the joy drops the good louds loyalty freak music Jazzar and Billy Murray. Oh,